Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Hey, everybody! Welcome! Happy Sunday! You can sit. My name is Mary. I'm the children's pastor here at Long Beach Christian Fellowship. Which means if you have a child, if you will ever have a child, or if you have an inner child who lives inside of you, I have the profound honor of being able to look at that child and tell them that they are loved and chosen by God. And it is just as beautiful and magical as it sounds to say that every week to all the sweet children. And if this is your first Sunday here, welcome. I know it's vulnerable and risky to try out a new church, and thank you for taking that risk with us. And if you are online and you are doing this from your couch or your kitchen or your car, it takes a lot of intentionality to engage when you are staying physically distant. And thank you for taking that intentionality with us. I feel your presence here with us today, even though you are not here in person. So we're doing this series of the parables of Jesus. And Jesus was just this master storyteller. Can you imagine what he would have been like at the kids' table at a wedding? He would have been so incredibly fun. He would have just had all the kids' imagination because this, this guy just had a way of just jumping right in and getting people hooked right away. He had this way of inviting people into imagining and wondering just how big the kingdom of God might be. And he loved to do these studies in polar opposites and worlds colliding. A lot of times his parables remind me of like an opening joke. I almost expect Jesus to say like, a priest, a rabbi, and an imam walk into a bar. Um, and his listeners knew that even though they didn't know the ending, they always knew to expect the unexpected because Jesus was always saying and doing the unexpected thing. He loves to surprise us with the bigness and the vastness of God's love. And here in the parable that we're going to be doing today about the Pharisee and the tax collector, we see the epitome of piousness and sinfulness meet together at the temple. And we know, because it's Jesus, that's going to be a humdinger of a story. So let's read it together, and then we can unpack it and imagine and wonder about it. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, 
went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus says that these two guys went into the temple to pray. And when I think of prayer, I think of like this personal private conversation between me and the Lord. But the listeners of the day knew that when these two guys were walking into the temple together, what they were actually doing was going for the daily atonement offerings that would have been offered at the temple. This would have been a time of corporate and public prayer to pray and atone for one's sins. And Jesus starts the story off with the similarities of the two men. They both went to the temple at the same time. They were both there for the same reason, to pray and to atone. And they both stood a distance from other people. And that is where all the similarities end. When we read the story now, the Pharisee looks like a jerk. He's boastful. He's comparative. He's very holier than thou. But at the time that Jesus told this story, the Pharisee would have looked really good to his contemporaries. This prayer of thanking God that he was not like other people was actually a shining example of what it looked like to be humble and pious. Not only does he follow the rules and checks all the boxes, he still manages somehow to give God all the glory. Except that we know, because Luke gives us a clue, that this is actually about a man who's very proud, who thinks that he is better than others and is self-righteous. And then on the other side of the room, we have the tax collector. And I love how universal tax collectors are. Tax collectors and prostitutes, right? They just, no matter where you're from, they just transcend time and place. When you hear tax collectors and prostitutes, you kind of know these people are going to be society outcasts. They're not going to have a ton of friends. And um, here's a little shameless plug for Ryan. Last week's message, he talks a lot about tax collectors and Pharisees, and it is incredible. So if you have not listened to that, please give a listen. It's solid. It's about the prodigal son which we've all heard, but it's like this fresh retelling. It's good. Um, The Old Testament, God makes it really clear that he's always reaching for the people on the margins. In the Old Testament, he's always talking about the widows and the orphans. He asks us to look for the widows and the orphans and to take care of them as well. Those two people, those widows and the orphans, they would have been powerless to their situation and their circumstances, and God was always reaching for those people. And then I love that when Jesus comes, when God in the flesh arrives, he starts showing that he is concerned and cared, not just for the widows and the orphans, but also for the sinners and the reprobates. Unlike the widows and the orphans, tax collectors don't just accidentally fall into their careers, there's choice involved, and in the case of a tax collector, his choice included betraying community for empire. But Jesus always makes friends with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He calls them by name. He recognizes and reminds them of their inherent worth. And at the end of any Jesus encounter, they are always restored and returned to their community. I love that about Jesus. And the tax collector in this story He can't even look up 
he beats his chest in despair of the mess that he's made of his life. This kind of mourning that he showed was rare in communities, and it was rarer still within men. This would have been considered demasculating behavior, but this guy has nothing left to lose. He cannot hold it together. There's no grandstanding. He cannot rely on his own goodness, but still he comes, and he engages in this act of worship, calling upon a God of mercy to save him from himself and his wickedness. And of course, Jesus throws his signature curveball ending and tells the listener that it's the tax collector and not the Pharisee who leaves justified that day. I've heard this story many times throughout my lifetime. Um, I had those little arch books that all rhymed. I don't know if you guys, I loved this one when I was a kid. Um, and we have the hindsight of 2,000 years and lots of theologians to help reframe this story for us. So we're apt to give a lot of grace to the tax collector and a lot of harsh judgments to the Pharisee. But these stories are an invitation for wondering and imagining. And so this time I imagined what was going on with the Pharisee and the days and the weeks leading up to this prayer. All pride comes from comparison. We cannot have pride without competition. So once competition is gone, pride is also gone. How often is self-righteousness actually just trying to hide the broken bits and the insecurities from ourselves and from others? And I was talking to my daughter yesterday about pride and talking about it today. She said, well, Mom, you know, for better or for worse, nobody's ever going to accuse you of pride. And I thought about that for a second. I was like, eh. But pride can look different in a lot of ways. My pride, I think, shows up a lot of times in pretending like I can do it all by myself, not asking for help, not being vulnerable, not admitting that I need God and I need community. I make up that this Pharisee felt just as broken just as desperate to be seen as the tax collector. The only difference was that he could not acknowledge his insecurities and weaknesses. And so he does what's safe instead, and he hides behind self-righteousness and piety. He tries to follow this formula of a magical prayer that will get him seen and noticed. And I wonder if after he heard the tax collector acknowledge to God and those around him that he was indeed a sinner in need of mercy... He longed to pray the same thing. I wonder if he wanted to ask God and others to see that he was a man desperate for love and respect, trying to do the right thing, but realizing that it was just too high of a mark to reach. I see both the Pharisee and the tax collector in my own story and in my own longings. They live inside of me, and they war inside of me all of the time. I find that I'm both the prodigal and the performer. I am the priest and the prostitute. And every time I come to church or get to have a conversation, I get to choose my narrative. And often, it's performative. Often, I put the pretty sparkly bits in and I leave the ugly bits out. When the mind-boggling reality is that it's only when I'm honest with myself, with God, and with others about who I truly am 
can I actually have my needs met? I see myself in the Pharisee more than I'd like to admit. I can pray in front of an audience instead of to God. I often revert to hoping that there's some sort of magical formula that I can follow that will give me everything I need and want. I often try to nudge God in the right direction of the way that I think he should go by reminding him of all the gold stars that I think I've earned. My pride shows up like pretending I can do stuff on my own. I don't need anyone's help. Instead of praying the truest prayer of all, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why is it so much easier to accept things when we feel like we've earned them and deserve them than it is to just receive a gift that's been given freely? God is in the business of mercy, forgiveness, and generosity. He's pretty much famous for giving the most wonderful, undeserved present to the world at Christmas time 2,000 years ago. There's no magical formula that we can follow to get us those gold stars. There's no leveraging or chances for pride or comparison when we stand before the majesty and goodness of God. Instead, he's so good that he holds the widow and the orphan near. He is the type of God who looks upon the cheats and the prostitutes. And he gives them the love and grace and redemption that they've been longing for. Many, many years ago, and many children's directors ago at Long Beach Christian Fellowship, I was serving in a Sunday school classroom. And there was this little boy who was such a little stinker. He was so rambunctious. And at that time, we would take all the kids from one classroom to another classroom, and we would all hear the big God story and sing songs together. And one Sunday, this little rambunctious boy thought it would be great fun if he hid while I was trying to herd all the kids together, which is like herding cats, and go to the other classroom. And I did not notice that that little boy did not make it into the other room with me until I heard his cries, because he was left alone in a classroom by himself in the dark. I felt horrible. I scooped him up in my arms. I told him how sorry I was that I should have noticed that he was not there and that that should have never happened. And I held him and I asked him, is there anything we can do to make this better? And he nodded with so much confidence and certainty. I was so relieved that there was something that he had in his mind that was going to fix this. I said, great. What is it? What can we do that can make this better? And that sweet little boy with tears still rimming in his eyes said, God. God is the only thing that can make this better. And God is the only thing that always makes things better. Um, I went and I told the children's director what had happened. I told her I wanted to tell the parents. I wanted to apologize. The parents were so wonderfully gracious. Like, I could not believe how quickly they were like, ah, it's fine. Um, and the next day, oh, and y'all, like, after I did that, like, it was like this ugly kind of cry that happened. Like, I could not get it together. I had to leave because I was like, <gasps> you know, it was snotty and slobbery. And the children's director came to my house the next day with a bouquet of flowers 
and a card that said I was loved and appreciated. Ashes for beauty. And the only way that that could happen is if I asked each of those people for mercy. And mercy found me. That little boy who was so rambunctious became such a precious part of my Sunday experience. He had things to teach me about God that I had not yet learned. I became good friends with his parents. I became so much closer to that children's director because I saw that grace and that mercy extended to me in that moment when I really, really needed it. I find paradoxically that it's never when I present the prettiest version of myself, but the truest and messiest version of myself that goodness and relationship find me. To live by grace is to acknowledge our whole story, the light and the dark, but it is only when we acknowledge that shadow side can we truly understand what grace means. I don't think there's anything incidental in the Gospels of Jesus. I believe every word, every story matters. And I believe where and when it happens in the Gospel matters too. Right before this parable, Jesus tells another parable, the parable of the widow and the judge. And in that, Jesus is teaching people how to pray with boldness, tenacity, persistence. And he moves directly from that parable right into this parable. And if the parable of the widow and the judge is teaching people how to pray, I believe the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is teaching people why we pray. Not for the sake of others, not to remind God of the gold stars that we've earned, but to come to him without answers or solutions, right in the midst of our mess, and to simply ask honestly for what we need. Which, when it comes down to it, is mercy. It's always mercy. In the chapter right before these two parables, Jesus heals ten men with leprosy. And just like the tax collector, these men cry out for mercy from beyond the city gates for Jesus to heal them. And just like the tax collector, these men have no bartering power. They can only raise their voices and ask to be seen and ask for mercy. And Jesus sees them because that is just what Jesus does. And Jesus has mercy on them because that is also what Jesus does. And then I think, I, knew, I think that God knew exactly what he was doing when right after these parables, parents started bringing children up to Jesus to be blessed. And the disciples tried to turn them away, but Jesus is not in the business of turning little ones away either. And so instead, he tells them that the kingdom of God belongs to children. Children who are characterized by the fact that they cannot do anything to earn their care and their keep. They're helpless. They simply just have to trust that they will be seen, that their cries will be heard, and that their every need will be met. And this is the kingdom of God. Nothing to prove, nothing to earn, no grandstanding. We come. We come with our mess and our mess-ups and our grief and our longing, and we ask for mercy. And the miracle is 
that every single time mercy finds us. My community, we are going to engage together in a prayer. And as we do, we're going to ask questions and consider God's mercy that is new every morning is mer- has mercy in each of these moments. Let's consider these words together. In gratitude, we turn to God, asking for the grace to recognize Christ present in all things. God, where did I see you in my home? In my daily chores? In my morning routines? Where did I miss your presence? God, where did I see you on my commute? In the day's comings and goings? Where did I pass by too quickly? God, where did I encounter you in my meals, shared or alone, quick or leisurely? Where was I ungrateful? God, where did I hear you in the media? Where did I see you on my many devices? How did I distinguish your voice from that of the enemy. God, how did I encounter you and my neighbor, in my friends and family and coworkers? When did I fail to love others as much as you love me? God, guide me in the day ahead. Amen. His mercies are new every morning, and we wait for him.